reading this morning, and it's in Luke chapter 19. Luke 19, verses 36 through 38. As he was going, they were spreading their coats on the road. As soon as he was approaching, near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all of the miracles which they had seen, shouting, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Darwin, thank you for doing our reading this morning. Will you join me in prayer as we prepare our hearts to hear what the Lord has for us this morning? Hosanna. Lord, save us. The King who comes in the name of the Lord. We offer you our praises today, Lord, and we join our voices with those who cried out on that first Palm Sunday in praise of you, in recognition of who you are. Indeed, you are the King. You are the Messiah. You are the one who sets us free from sin. You are the one who saves us. And we honor you and we praise you today. And our praises join the praises of our fellow Christians for the last two millennia, remembering you, especially on this day, Palm Sunday. Lord, we ask you to bless us as we look into your word, and may your Holy Spirit be our teacher, and may he speak through me words that give honor to Christ. We ask you, Lord, to bless those who have left our church to serve you overseas. For our missionaries, Lord, bless them as they share the gospel message of Jesus. Bless our military who are deployed. May they have meaningful reflections of who you are during this Holy Week season. Lord, we pray for their families during the time of separation, that you'd bless them. For our students away at school, that they'd reflect on who Jesus is and be blessed. For those who are ill, we pray, Lord, that they'd be blessed first in their communion with you and then with your healing touch. And we ask all these things in the mighty saving name, the name by which we must be saved, the name Jesus. Amen. What happened on April 7th, 2003, was completely unexpected. America's prophets of doom were wrong. Iraqi's evil dictator Saddam Hussein himself was wrong. When American tanks and American troops rolled into the city of Baghdad for what might be called a triumphal entry, They were greeted with the totally unexpected. They were greeted with the people hailing them as liberators and the Iraqi people crying, Thank you, Mr. Bush. Thank you, Mr. Bush. Thank you, Mr. Bush. Totally unexpected. And the prophets of doom that predicted Certain things that would come true didn't come true. No Scud missiles rained down on Israel as predicted. Thousands of suicide bombers were not unleashed in U.S. cities. Biological, chemical, and nuclear weapons were not unleashed against the coalition forces that came into Baghdad. And North Korea didn't take this as an opportunity to invade South Korea. 
the unexpected took place. The Iraqi people had some liberators who came to set them free. But are they free? It's been 16 years. Iraqi people may be arguably better off than they were under Saddam Hussein, but they're still not free. President Bush is not their liberator, no matter how well-meaning he may have been. Conflict continues to rage in the Middle East in spite of the fact that America went in to liberate the Iraqis because there is only one true liberator for the Middle East. And there's only one true liberator for the world. And that liberator presented himself two millennia ago to the people of the Middle East, and he was rejected as a liberator. And it's that event, the event that we often call the triumphal entry, that we celebrate today. We call it Palm Sunday, referring to the palm fronds that people were waving and and put on the dirt road to keep the dust down as they hailed the one true liberator and the only liberator of the Middle East, Jesus Christ. And although it's been kind of recent that Americans have finally discovered there is a Middle East, apparently, and kind of know where countries in the Middle East are and start talking about the Middle East, the Middle East has been the center of God's plan for mankind since He first made Adam and Eve and formed them and put them in a garden in the Middle East. And the entire Bible is not a history of the world. It's a history of one people, a Middle Eastern group, the Jewish people. And it traces their beginning, and I can't say their end because they never end. They go on for eternity with a king who was born in the Middle East, who is Middle Eastern and will always be Middle Eastern for all eternity, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Scriptures talk about what will happen in Revelation 19 when the end of this world as we know it In the battle of Armageddon, when Satan and the Antichrist and his false religious prophet and the nations of the world gather in the valley of Megiddo, and Jesus comes from heaven, and they won't miss him this time. He comes with fire in his eyes, a sword out of his mouth, with down his thigh, it says, King of kings and Lord of lords. And he destroys all his enemies and sets up his kingdom, you know where? In the Middle East, with Jerusalem as his capital to fulfill the Abrahamic and Davidic covenants that he made to Abraham and David. And he sets the world free once and for all. Human nature craves freedom. We crave liberation. As Americans, we sing in our national anthem, we are the land of the, what? The land of the free and the home of the brave because freedom doesn't come without bravery. Civil rights leader Martin Luther King Jr. dreamt of a day when 
oppressed minorities would cry out, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, we are free at last. Because it's only through God Almighty that we truly can be free. Some of you are old enough to remember the the classic movie, The Great Escape. It was a movie based on a true story of allied POWs in World War II. They were in a Nazi prison camp and how they dug tunnels to escape. And prior to their escape, these allied POWs told the Nazi commandant of the POW camp, it's our duty to escape. It's our duty to be free. Freedom was seen as their military duty. And the words of the Holy Scriptures, God speaking by the pen of the Apostle Paul in Galatians 5.13, God says, for you were called to freedom. Not to slavery, not to bondage. We have been called to be set free. God put in us the desire and the need and the dream of being free, free of sin completely, and free of the temptation to sin, free of all pain, and free from everything that causes us pain, physically and emotionally, free of failure, our own failure and the failures of others, free of disappointment and discouragement, free of disease and sickness, free of hopelessness and depression. He wants to set us free of sorrow and grief and tears, free of bitterness and worry, free of government oppression, and probably taxes. <laughs> April 15th is coming. And free of demons, both real and imagined. Jesus wants to set us free, free to love like we should love, and free to be loved like we should be loved, free to enjoy life like he made us to enjoy it. And Palm Sunday is the coming of the liberator to set you and me free forever. But, and but changes everything. Jesus came to liberate us. And he was rejected. The liberator was rejected. And that's what we celebrate today in Luke 19, in verse 36. As we continue the story of Palm Sunday, it says in Luke 19, 36, if you have your Bibles or your apps on your phone, you might want to turn there. And as Jesus was going, heading into Jerusalem... He's presenting himself as the liberator, as the Messiah. They were spreading their garments in the road, keeping the dust down. And as he was now approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And they are quoting one of the Psalms as they say that. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now, sometimes you'll hear people say, hear people say oh, this, this crowd is so fickle. I mean, on this day, they're praising him, 
and less than a week later, they're crucifying him. Well, it's not the same crowd. This is a crowd of followers. These are the ones who know who he is. They've just declared who he is. They know him. They're not the ones who crucified him. It's the rest of the crowd, led by the religious leaders that would reject him. As much as we all want to be liberated, some of us don't want to be liberated the way that Jesus wants to liberate us. We want our own conditions. And so while one group is recognizing Jesus as the king, as the liberator, notice the next verse, verse 39. And some of the Pharisees in the multitude, the religious leaders, said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. They didn't recognize the liberator. They didn't recognize who Jesus was. They didn't like the way he looked. He didn't look like he was supposed to look. He didn't act like he was supposed to act. He didn't follow their rules, their regulations, and they were rejecting him. There are two things in your outline there. If you have it, you might want to turn it out. And the first thing that we'll be looking at is that Jesus doesn't necessarily show up in the way you are expecting Jesus doesn't necessarily show up in the way you are expecting. And because of that, we can miss seeing him at work in us and through us and around us. Of course, you're not looking for the right thing. The Jewish people at this time, as you might know, were under the subjugation of the Romans, the Roman Empire. The Romans determined the laws. The Romans determined what they did. They were ruled by the Romans. They paid taxes to the Romans. There were Roman guards everywhere. And the Jewish people expected a Messiah, a Jewish Messiah, a conqueror, who would free them from the Romans, who would come perhaps on a white horse. And Jesus comes on a baby donkey. They're expecting he will come, and there will be the death of their enemies. A slaughter. And what they get is the death of their liberator. They expected him to come and change those other people. And he came and said, you have to change. They expected him to follow their plans. And Jesus said, I want you to follow my plans. The tragic result was even though there were individuals in the Jewish nation who recognized Jesus, the leadership of the nation and the nation as a whole, the Jewish people, rejected Jesus as their Messiah. We've been talking about encounters with Jesus. Well, this is an encounter with rejection that's about to happen. And Jesus knew he was going to be rejected And so he predicted what would happen. When you reject Jesus, bad things happen. Maybe not immediately, but eventually. And Jesus predicts what will happen because the Jewish nation rejected him as their Messiah. And within 40 years, he describes what's going to happen beginning in verse 41. In verse 41, Jesus approached the city and he saw the city of Jerusalem and he wept over it. And these are not tears of joy. These are tears of sorrow. Because he knows what's going to happen. He's going to be rejected. They're not going to be set free. In verse 42, he says, saying, if you had known in this day, even you, 
the things which make for peace. Jesus makes for peace, but you didn't know that. But now they have been hidden from your eyes. For the days shall come upon you when your enemies, that's the Romans, will throw up a bank before you and surround you and hem you in on every side. And will love you to the ground and your children within you. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not recognize what? The time of your visitation. You didn't recognize that Jesus has shown up in your life. And you and I can do the same thing. Jesus shows up and he doesn't look like what we expected, so we reject him. He shows up in the love of a little child. He shows up in an email from a friend. He shows up in the the smile of a stranger who offers you help. When the liberator comes and you reject him, bad things happen. Forty years after Jesus predicted this, after he got rejected, there was an uprising of Jews in Jerusalem. And so to quell that uprising, Titus, the Roman general, brought his army into Jerusalem. But he didn't want to lose his men by sending them into Jerusalem because there were three concentric walls around the city that the Jews could defend themselves from. And he didn't want to lose his men going over each of the three walls. So he had a brilliant idea. He built a fourth wall and built it all the way around Jerusalem and cut Jerusalem off. And he starved the people out. And men, women, and children were starved and falling dead in the streets of Jerusalem. Nothing, no one could get out, and no food could get in. And Jesus predicted that in verse 43. He says, The days shall come upon you when your enemies, the Romans, will throw up a bank, a wall around you, and surround you, and hem you in in every side. And history proves that that was fulfilled. When the Romans did go in the city, they burned it to the ground. The beautiful temple that had been remodeled by Herod took about 90 years of remodeling, 90-some years to remodel the temple. It had just recently been remodeled. They burned it to the ground. And because the walls were covered with gold, the gold melted and went into the seams of the rocks. So the Romans came in and dismantled the entire temple rock by rock to get the gold. And Jesus predicted, they will not leave in you one stone upon another. Because they rejected the liberator. The reason people reject Jesus as a liberator, even though everyone wants to be liberated, is he doesn't necessarily look like what you expect him to look like, and he doesn't necessarily handle things according to your plans, he has his own. The Pharisees wanted liberation. They expected it. Non-Christians want freedom. Muslims want freedom. Buddhists want freedom. Mormons want freedom. Hindus want freedom. Even atheists who don't believe in God want to be free. I mean, think about it. No one in their right mind holds a big sign and walks the streets and says, Back to bondage! or down with freedom, or trample my civil rights. We all want liberation. The problem is not with our dreams for liberation. The problem 
is with our dreams about the liberator, who we think he should be, what he should look like, how he should act. We all want liberation. And when Jesus came to the Jewish people, to the nation of Israel, he didn't look like what they had expected, and so he was rejected. And the smartest people in the land, the most religious people among the Jews, the best educated of the Jewish nation completely missed the Messiah because he didn't meet their expectations. Verse 39, And some of the Pharisees in the multitude said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And look at Jesus' answer. Look at his answer to the intelligentsia of the first century. Verse 40, And Jesus answered and said, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. Don't miss the humor here. Jesus pointed out to these well-educated, upper-class religious leaders that they are dumber than rocks. (laughs) Even the rocks know who Jesus is. The Bible says knowledge can make arrogant. We can think we're so smart that we miss the Jesus, the liberator. That's why a four-year-old little girl knows the truth, that God created her, that Jesus died for her, that she's a sinner and needs to receive Jesus Christ as her Savior, and in Sunday school she prays to receive Jesus Christ. But an educated scientist thinks that we are a product of spontaneous generation, and there's no life after death. Dumber than a rock. Jesus doesn't necessarily show up in the way you are expecting, but he shows up. And he shows up in you, and he shows up through you, and he shows up to you through other people if you're looking for him. He is revealing himself. You see, he reveals himself in trials in heartaches if you're looking for him. He reveals himself in the silence and in the darkness, if you're looking for him. He reveals himself even in society's emotionally damaged misfits, if you're looking for him. And yes, he shows up in the scriptures, if you're looking for him. Look for Jesus daily. He's revealing himself all the time. Look for him to reveal himself in unexpected ways, in you and to you. 2,000 years ago, the Jewish nation missed seeing Jesus because of their preconceptions and their stubbornness. And it would be a shame for us to do the same. Jesus doesn't necessarily show up in the way you are expecting, but he will show up. He is there. He is everywhere. He's always revealing himself. The second thing I notice in this story is that Jesus doesn't necessarily ask you when he shows up to do what you think he will. He doesn't necessarily ask you to do 
what you think he will. Imagine for a moment you're part of Jesus' inner circle. You've been following him for years, traveling with him, and you know the big day has come, the big event. Jesus has this triumphal entry. He's going to go into Jerusalem, and he's going to present himself as the king of kings, as the Lord of lords, as the Messiah to the Jewish people and the world. He is the liberator. And so Jesus calls you aside and tells you, I have a special task for you. And you're thinking, oh, what's it going to be? I carry his flag. I blow the trumpet. I shout, here he comes, the king, in the name of the Lord. A special task. And he pulls you aside. It's the big day. And you listen carefully. And Jesus says, here's what I want you to do untie a baby donkey and bring it to me. (laughs) What? Untie a baby donkey and bring it to me. That's not what you're expecting. And as if you can't do it by yourself, he goes, and I want you to take someone else with you. (laughs) Great. I need help untying a baby donkey and bring it to you. Two of us. Great. That's the big day. And you're going, that's not what I was expecting. Not what I was expecting at all. My friends, no matter what Jesus asks you to do, no matter how small the task, if done for the king, it's done for the kingdom, it's a huge task. When Jesus says, be nice to that cashier who's just been rude to you, maybe he or she is having a really bad day, smile and bless them. That's a big task. It's for the king. Or when your waiter or waitress is not doing a very good job and they're distracted and you don't even want to leave them a tip and the Holy Spirit says, double the tip, they're having a bad day. It's for the king and his kingdom. It's a big deal. When you leave the church service to help out in the nursery, because somebody's sick and didn't go there and we need someone to watch the babies and you volunteer to do that and you miss the sermon, you miss the worship. But you do it for the king and the kingdom. That's a big deal. Go untie a donkey. That's a big deal. Jesus doesn't necessarily ask you to do what you think he will. But if he's asked you to do it, it's a big deal. And these two disciples may not have realized it, but they were fulfilling a prophecy that was given in the book of Zechariah 500 years earlier. It was part of God's divine plan, and they fulfilled a prophecy by bringing a baby donkey for Jesus to ride. Luke 19. Jesus is saying in verse 30, Go into the village opposite you, in which also you enter. You will find a colt tied in which no one yet has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you why you're untying it, thus you shall speak, the Lord has need of it. That should be enough. The Lord needs it. He asked for it. Do it. That should be enough. Jesus doesn't necessarily ask you to do what you think he will, but everything he asks you to do, in his mind, is extremely important. That's why he's asked you. I close with another true story from the Middle East. Thanks to your generosity to this church when you give, 
we are able then to take your gifts and prayerfully look at ways to share with the poor and the needy physically and spiritually. As you know, we give away over a quarter million dollars a year to help the poor and the needy and people come to know Jesus Christ. Quarter million dollars, thanks to you. One of the ministries we support ministers to people, refugees from the Middle East. Most of them are coming from a Muslim background. We have missionaries, Donna and Themis Sirenides, also my friends who live in Athens, Greece, and, and they minister to refugees from Iraq and Iran and Afghanistan. And we hear story after story of amazing miracles and encounters with Jesus. But I'd like to read to you just one. It's a typical experience. It's unusual to us, but this happens on a regular basis. They have a center. It's called the Athens Refugee Center, the ARC, and they provide showers, clean clothes, laundry facilities, tea, and they have the Jesus film on screens all around. They can seat hundreds of people in this one room, and they have screens, and they have it in different languages, in Farsi and other languages, so people can understand what's on the screen. <coughs> and... One of the refugee workers that they work with wrote this, and listen as she tells the story in the first person. She says, I was talking with an Afghani mother today who had arrived in Greece with her husband and five children. After having paid a smuggler to smuggle them out of Afghanistan and across the country of Iran. This first part of their journey took one week. Then from Iran, they made it to Turkey, where for a period of several months, and at a cost of several thousand dollars, they had seven failed attempts to cross from Turkey in a rubber raft over to one of the islands of Greece. This is a family of seven in a rubber raft. Finally, on the eighth attempt, they crossed the Aegean Sea, were not spotted by the police, and they made it to one of the Greek islands, thus making it to Greece, thus making it to Europe. Once in Greece, the husband and three of their older children were able to get good enough passports to be able to travel to Germany. What that means is those are forged passports that were good enough to fool the authorities. That's why, as an American, you don't lose your passport because it's going to be forged. Someone's going to use it, and your passport's worth maybe 10 grand on the black market. So they got good enough forged passports to travel to Germany where they are in a reception center hoping to be granted asylum and to eventually be able to send for the mother and the two youngest children still in Greece. <clears throat> While listening to their story, I was holding the hand of Fatima. That's a, a pseudonym, not a real name. Holding the hand of Fatima, her 10-year-old daughter. As I held her hand, I couldn't help notice that her little hand was missing a finger. Fatima's family was wealthy by Afghani standards, so Fatima was able to attend school, which is a rare privilege, since only 5 to 10% of Afghani girls are able to attend school. The Taliban had seen that the family was wealthy, and so they kidnapped Fatima when she was 7 years old and held her for ransom. The Taliban demanded 50,000 U.S. dollars, or they would kill her. And to make their point clear, they cut off little Fatima's finger and sent it to her family in an envelope. The family was able to collect the $50,000 and pay the ransom, and little Fatima was returned to her family, but her little hand was now permanently disfigured. While holding 
her hand with the missing finger and talking with the mother and daughter in the Athens Refugee Center, the Jesus film was playing on several TVs in the room. The mother looked at the film and remarked how it reminded her of Afghanistan, the dress and the surrounding area. Little Fatima looked up and saw Jesus being crucified on the cross and asked me if Jesus really was killed on that cross. And I answered and I said, yes. God sent his son Jesus to die for our sins so that we could be set free. He's a liberator. He has come to liberate not only the people of the Middle East, but you and me as well. Would you pray with me? As we're praying, if you're here, if you don't feel liberated, if you don't feel like your sins have been forgiven, it could be that you've never asked Jesus to come into your life and save you and to set you free from your sins. He really did die on that cross for your sins. And he really did rise from the grave. He really did conquer death. And he really is offering you eternal life, free of sin. If you've never accepted him as your savior, as your liberator, and would like to do so, cry out to him now and say, Hosanna, Lord, save me. And he will. He'll come into your life. And he'll save you. Lord Jesus, we want to represent you well to others so they would see Jesus in us. And help us, Lord, to see Jesus in others so we can appreciate them as well. It's in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. My brothers and sisters, I'd like to close with a benediction from 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 5. May the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the steadfastness of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Have an amazing week. We'll see you soon. God bless.